0: He's almost, you know, a kind of a prototype for someone that really has fallen through the cracks of society. Being in a gang was almost, to him, family. People were coming and going, taking their drugs, partying, and, and as this man's body was essentially rotting beside him.
1: I'm Nicola Tallent, and you're listening to Crime World... A podcast about criminals, drugs and the sins of the underworld in Ireland and across the globe. Murder victim Tony Dempsey's end is as grim as a society could ever imagine. For 10 days, his body lay decomposing in a Dublin flat while drug users came and went. And neighbours at Kevin Barry House complained about the smell. Gardy believed the 28-year-old was killed by someone he knew and then left to rot in a city centre drug den where addicts came for their fix and to shoot up. So who was Tony Dempsey and how did he come to such a tragic end, discarded like a bag of rubbish and covered by blankets? Today, I'm talking to Irish independent crime correspondent Ken Foy who says that Dempsey was a classic example of a young man who fell through the cracks of society. He tells me about his chaotic background, about the years in foster homes and about his end in a flat described as a place of absolute horror. This is Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. Ken, had anybody reported Tony Dempsey missing before that horror discovery on the 13th of September?
0: No, uh, he he was not classified as a missing person, Nicola. Um he had been someone that had a very, very chaotic life. Um and it's believed he had he had been certainly frequenting the property where he his body was found for a number of months um before he was actually murdered in the place.
1: Mm. So how was he discovered and um, I mean I don't know, I can't imagine how awful it must have been for the, uh, the services, the guardy, and other services who went into that flat but h- how did he end up being, how were they called eventually?
0: Well it's believed that guardy were called after uh, neighbours raised concern. It, it was actually in a very grim way, it was in relation to the smell that was coming from the flat which, which was a ground floor mm. um, property in Kevin Barry House in Dublin's north inner city. So, uh, Gardaí arrived and um, they discovered his remains wrapped in blankets uh, near a bed in the property. Um, seasoned detectives who've covered or investigated multiple uh, gangland crimes say that this was probably one of the worst scenes that they'd ever encountered um, because mm. it's believed that Tony um, had had been there for anything up to 10 days before um, Gardy entered that property.
1: So, first of all, who lives at that property or who owns it, do we know?
0: Well, the property is, um, it's owned by Dublin City Council, but it's um, in the care of Peter, the Peter MacFerry Trust. So the tenant in the property who has actually nothing to do with the murder, is not a suspect in a murder at all and has... Uh, I believe given a, a full account of events as far as she could tell to Gardy um she she's a female that had been living in a tent on on the Grand Canal a, um, a heroin addict um she was then she was given this this house this uh, property um a very vulnerable woman and um mm. it seems that she got taken advantage of and unfortunately relapsed into her her own uh, drug addiction again. And the place uh, became, well, I suppose, what's been described as a drug den, where, you know, dozens of people uh, every week were passing in and out and shooting up, um, as in heroin, it's believed crack cocaine was taken there. And like this was a property that was in pristine condition when she moved into it. And I guess she, she had every intention of becoming clean. But unfortunately, it seems she was taken advantage of by people. And um, in the in the months before this murder happened, um, there was literally dozens of complaints to Dublin City Council about the antisocial behaviour that was happening in the flat.
1: So they call that cuckooing when somebody possibly will, you know, move into the property of a vulnerable person, start selling drugs, and it becomes a kind of a crack den, as they call it.
0: Yes and um apparently it it was absolutely in horrific order um you're talking about a situation here where um the unfortunate Mr Dempsey um he suffered really really bad head injuries in a in an assault to the point where it's even unclear whether a weapon was used or not um in the incident that led, that led to his death but for up to 10 days then uh, people were coming and going um with this young man's body, um, essentially lying on the floor. At one stage, it's believed um, he'd been moved out to the veranda of the property. It's a ground floor property, but then moved back in. Mm. But he was he was basically near a bed um, when Gardy entered the property, and there was a number of people in in the flat uh, when they did arrive, both male and female, um, who seemed kind of oblivious to to what was the horror that was you know six seven feet away from them.
1: In the corner. So Tony Dempsey's 28, but um, I see you were writing that he was actually subject of Garda Intelligent bulletins before he was even old enough to vote. So his background is chaotic and, you know, tragic and probably some would say he had no hope to to get anywhere else in life because of the the way he was, uh, his childhood
0: went. Well, you I suppose you could almost say he—he's someone that was let down by the state. He—he uh, he, he was in and out of foster homes as a child. I think something like ten different foster homes, um, and even as a juvenile, he became involved in serious enough organized crime. Where he grew up in the Inchicore area at the time, the Crumlin Drumne feud. As as we know, with the classic uh, Fat Freddie Thompson versus Brian Ratican feud was had been starting to to kind of die off with so many people being killed and locked up, etc. But there was a new generation of people involved in violence, um, and Tony Dempsey was certainly one of them. A lot of a lot of what was happening was um, extremely kind of violent tit for tat incidents incidents in the Basin Street Flats area of the south inner city. And there's no doubt that uh, Tony was um, to the fore in a lot of these incidents. And he would have had kind of, a, um, in terms of links, he would have had links to the Rattigan side of the, the feud.
1: Mm. So he was six around when that feud broke out in 2000.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I suppose what I'm saying is that there was so many people locked up. Um, yeah. d- the feud had moved on to a new generation, and mm. he was a very active part- participant in it, to the point where um, he was involved. He was he was caught with uh, uh, components for a bomb, which he ended up uh, being jailed for. Um, but he was also involved in some very serious feud-related assaults around out flat complexes. And this would have been only when he was 16 or 17 years of age, you know.
1: And we could speculate some, somewhat, but they are the kind of teenagers that a lot of the gangs will target. Because, you know, with a chaotic childhood already in and out of foster care um, and I suppose a tendency to want to belong to something, maybe, you know, coming into a, a drug gang is a, is the natural course of events for a guy like a guy like Tony Dempsey. Oh,
0: he's a classic example of that, really. You know, he—it seems he the, being in a gang was almost to him family, um, and it's—it's mm. it, it's a kind of a, you know, he's almost you know a kind of a prototype for some someone that really has fallen through the cracks of society.
1: And was he working as a kind of a? From reading between the lines, those events he was involved in in the Basin Street flats area, it was kind of like intimidation stuff. He was caught with that components for that pipe bomb, which he got nine months for, by the way, in jail nine years ago when he was only 19. But um, was he kind of working as a, a drug debt collector or as an enforcer, kind of very down the chain as such?
0: Very much down the chain, but a lot of these people, and we're seeing a bit more of it now, actually, Nicola, um, enforcers are also people that um, are victims themselves. Um, we There's mm. a, a, a recent case, a murder murder on the north side of Dublin, I suppose we can't go into it for, two, for legal reasons, but an example of someone, he was actually killed, um, he was an enforcer, he was collecting debts, but he was also someone that uh, was on the receiving end of hidings for owing money out. And Tony Dempsey would be very similar in that kind of way.
1: Mhm. So he built up 50 criminal convictions over his short life. Um, many of them were for driving offences, but others were for this sort of um, violence related to small-time drug deals and debt collections. Was he getting anywhere within the drugs business? You know, he's... 28 when, he's, when he died? Had he kind of risen the ranks at all in the last few years?
0: Absolutely not, Nicola. Um, he, he became a drug addict himself. Um, and while, I guess, people, you, you know, that knew him, said he could be um, a very pleasant type of person. He also had an extremely violent streak. Um, he was involved in a very bad stabbing incident um, in which a, a man was stabbed in the back in, in, the, in that uh, Flats complex back in 2013 in Basin Street Flats the victim in that case w- w- was too terrified to make a formal complaint to uh, Gardee. then roll on five years later he was involved in an incident in, in County Donegal um, where he bit the ear it bit the ear off a man um, it, as part of a personal dispute so um within all that, he was in and out of jail. Um, he was certainly not someone that uh, ever got d- high up in any gang hi- hierarchy, you know.
1: Mm. And he obviously never in his time in jail rehabilitated himself or maybe came out of the drugs world at all, which many people don't. Um, many, many don't. I mean, it, it, it seems to be you know, fewer that, that do, but when they do, they become very valued members of society as they understand the whole situation better than any of us. Um, in recent months, he suffered double tragedy. His sister died and his mother.
0: Yes. Um, and it's it's believed that this had a, a very bad effect on him in, in terms of his own drug use increased after these tragedies. Um, he was very close to to his sister and he, his mother died shortly after that too. I suppose it just compa- compounded his the pain he was suffering in his in his life, you know.
1: A sense of isolation. So moving on to Kevin Barry House and that crime scene, is that complex covered with CCTV cameras and is that one of the main routes in the Guard investigation to try and identify who his killer may
0: be? Yes, well... Um, there's been no arrest so far in, in this case um, but are following a definite line of inquiry uh, d- There there is a lot of CCTV and d- because with mm. so many people coming and going into their flat um, they've interviewed um, numerous witnesses um, there's still a few more to be interviewed but um, the investigation has been carried out by Bridewell Gardier they seem to know they seem to be very much following a, a definite line, but they're in absolutely no rush to make any arrests. They, they want to get everything um, set up properly, and that, yes, that does involve CCTV, but what's probably more important, uh, because there wasn't CCTV inside the house, is getting the accounts from everybody who was coming and going, and that, that is certainly a lot of people, mm-hmm. and it's certainly a lot of drug addicts. So they're going to...
1: Yeah, so a very chaotic community that maybe won't uh, be too sure of what happened which day, date or time of the day.
0: Exactly, but I believe they're making very, despite all that, I believe they're making very good progress in, in terms like it's, they, there's a number of accounts that have been given and, and you know, they're able to um, get all these statements and as you mentioned, CCTV can verify who, who came, who went. Um, and I'd imagine within a few weeks, there, there, there probably will be um, arrests in, in this case.
1: So what do they believe happened? Some sort of a row broke out and he was beaten up, basically?
0: Yes, but it, because of the nature of his... He, he suffered very severe head injuries. And I suppose a prominent hearing investigation is that it was actually a row over drugs um probably a, it seems a, a small drugs debt that was owed um by a female known to uh Mr Dempsey rather than a debt that he owed himself mm. and is there a murder weapon being sought or discovered no there there hasn't been a there hasn't been a murder, murder weapon discovered
1: mm. um so have you ever heard anything like this story before? Because I don't think I can recall such a thing happening before.
0: No, I suppose people there. There's some maybe you could call a flippant commentary. Um, there was a famous scene in Train Spotting, mm. um, the film, the, the Scottish film, um, that that some people have, I suppose, um, said that that this this murder is similar too. But um, certainly not. Mm. No, and. It, any guard i spoke to um have never basically have said they've never encountered something so grim in the sense that people were coming and going taking their drugs partying and and as this man's body was essentially rotting beside him
1: it's unbelievable, and of course, there's so many of these crack dens now all over the city and and into the suburbs, and we hear about them all the time. How, you know, they're overtaken by dealers and drug users, and the owner is either pushed out or has to suffer what's going on around them because they themselves might be be drug users. It's the kind of the like when when we talk about the wealth and the riches and. You know, you were writing about Johnny Morrissey there this week, the Kinnahan money launderer who has been arrested in Spain about the money he handed over to the IRA in his time, about the kind of wealth and lifestyle he had. I mean, this couldn't be further from that.
0: Yeah, but this is a direct consequence of all that too. You know, you, you have the likes of Johnny Morrissey and you have people, you know, making millions and mil- millions of euro. And then you have um, the mm. very bottom of the food chain. And um, this is t- uh, exactly, it's its just, it's almost a case study. Um, t- it's the counter, you know, the counter opposite of, of these drug barons. But this is, the, this is the effect of their business. And like, you think about like people
1: trying to bring up children in that Kevin Barry house and, you know, there's constantly information coming in about what's going on down in Oliver Bond Cues and cues of drug addicts looking to buy their crack cocaine families trying to rear their children there and them going to school past this sort of stuff I mean I mean this is horrific it's all over the news uh, everybody I'm sure within Kevin Barry House is talking about it and uh how do you normalise? Like, I mean, it is as if it's becoming normalised for those kids. How would you explain that away? How would you in any way, shape or form try to say to kids, you know, well, look, this is just what happens?
0: Nicola, I can't even imagine um, how you would, especially in, in the particular circumstances of this case where um, local residents have spoken. Um, and there it was, it was some very good interviews in the Sunday world um, last weekend t- with Patrick O'Connell, mm. where local residents sp- spoke about the stench coming out of that flat. So I, I can't even imagine um, c- kids being in that environment, to be honest, which I just, I, I just, I can't mm. imagine that. I, I can't see how that could be anyway normal. And is there any
1: sort of a, is there any being, any commentary from the Peter McVery Trust? Have they anything to say about their, I mean, it's their tenant essentially that would have been given that property?
0: Well, I believe they're they're um, carrying out their own investigation into the matter, and they say that um, d- they had visited the property um, e- even d- during the time period that Mr Dempsey was lying there um, decomposing. But again, local residents dispute that, so uh, mm. it's they've questioned whether um, the the people from the trust uh, visit a property at all.
1: I suppose from when we talk about the Peter Macfairy Trust and, and how they'll carry out their own investigations, we do have to recognise that they are there to look after the most vulnerable of people living the most chaotic lives who also deserve to be housed, at the very least, with a roof over their heads. So they've a very hard job to do and um, there's not many... Uh, Organizations that are out there looking after people like that. So somebody has to do it and, uh, you know, everybody's entitled to live, have a bed at least at night, you know, and shelter. I mean, that's the basic human rights. So um, it remains to be seen what will happen with that. But an absolutely grim story, Ken, and I definitely don't think I've come across similar myself um, in all my years. So we'll revisit maybe if there is any developments in the case and so for the moment, thank you very much.
0: Thanks very much, Nicola.
1: You've been listening to Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com, produced by Ian Mullaney and edited by me, Nicola Talent. Research assistant is Claude Amini. If you like this show and love true crime, leave us a review. Or why not download the free sundayworld.com app for lots more stories from Ireland and across the globe.